the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio-registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. have financial goals and dreams we can help you achieve them welcome to financial food for thought the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, flying solo today as Carrie has the weekend off. She's off doing mom stuff. And so you've got me for the next hour. And a couple of things I want to talk about today. One, I have a little unfinished business from last week's, our annual 420 show. I kind of ran out of time last week, so I just want to follow up on that. Then the last part of the show, I'm going to talk about the infamous... Uh, investment allocation strategy called, of course, Go Away in May. Um, and, you know, sell in May and go away. You know, that that we've all heard that. Uh, you'll hear it a lot over this weekend and over the next week. You know, the idea that you sell in May and go away. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but I want to start off the show and you hear our March Madness theme music going in the background. I want to show, you know, are you suffering from TRD? And if you're asking what TRD is, that's what I say is tax refund distortion. So let's get started here. Filing dates aren't the only difference. You recently wrote that refunds may be smaller because of COVID relief. Explain what folks can expect. Yeah, thanks, Errol. Yeah, even the IRS is actually warning taxpayers that they may see smaller refunds this year. Um, and the reason is because we had a lot of pandemic-related tax breaks, rebates, stimulus checks to help people get through the pandemic. Those expired last year. So things like the expanded ch- child tax credit um, are gone. I mean, there's still the child tax credit, but it's just a smaller amount. So given all those big benefits that people saw in the last couple of years that aren't around anymore, taxpayer or tax professionals, even the IRS are saying, you know, don't expect what you got last year. And last year, just remind people, the average tax refund was $3,200. And that was about 14% higher than normal. So, um, you know, don't expect that. All right, so, so there you go. And that was the headlines that we all saw this week. Um, why the IRS is saying to expect smaller refunds this year. And it's something that if you've listened to our show and we've been doing this radio show for many, many years, 
it's the idea that I've always brought that up and, and, you know, this, I, and this tax refund distortion, I call it, because I don't think people really understand it. And the media just spreads this disease (laughs) that they hop on it and say, and they try to say like, uh, you know, any, and it's very politicized, you know, so you'll hear the far right saying, see, President Biden, we're all getting less refunds. Uh, or, you know, we, and it was, it was bipartisan. You know, it was, uh, when, when President Trump passed his tax cuts and jobs act, it was all, you know, the, the first year that was, oh, you know, the refunds actually are coming in smaller. It's all President Trump's fault. Um, and, it's it's and i don't think people really understand the you know what a re, a tax refund is okay um and so let's start off uh perhaps with a little test okay and you can do this at home um i was like so which would you rather have an annual tax liability of $15,000 and you're getting a refund of $2,000, or B, let's say that's A, or B, an annual tax liability of $12,000, and you're getting a refund of $1,000. Now, here's the trick. Your refund under B is half of what your refund is under A. So under A, which would you choose, A or B? And if you answered A, then you may be suffering from TRD. Uh, see, the point is, whether you're getting a refund of $1,000 or a refund of $2,000, do you understand that's your money to start off with? In other words, you gave it to the government on your own. You made those decisions to give that money to the government. And now you just gave it to them to hold on to it. Until, you know, you file your tax return and then now they have to turn around and give it to you back. Well, is that really more important than the, the reason why the answer to the test is B is because in plan B, your actual tax liability, that's the money that you hard earned that's going to the government was $12,000 lower than the actual tax liability in example A, which was $15,000. Perhaps that's what you should be focusing on. Not the size of your refund, how much of your actual dollars, earned dollars are going in taxes. All right. Um, now, let's say you are suffering. So what are the treatments for IRD sufferers? Well, I mean, here, I can, okay, I can guarantee you um, we can increase your tax refund. All right. Now you say, well, Mark, how, how are you going to do that? Well, let's see here. So let's keeping along with uh, you know, this example. So the example that let's say your tax liability. Now, one of the assumptions here is that this year's taxable income is exactly like last year's taxable income. And the amount of withholding this year on your W-2 is exactly what your withholding was on last year on your W-2, just to, to make my example here. So everything's the same. Obviously, if you had completely different taxable circumstances year to year, it doesn't, obviously that changes the, the scenario. But this scenario, just keeping it simple, everything's the same this year and last year. All right. So if you, let's say, so in this example, let's say your actual tax liability is 15000 You got a $2,000 refund. So that means you actually had 17000 in withholding, let's say, on your W-2. 
Okay. And so you had your employer withhold more money than what you really needed to send to the government, but you elected to do that. So the money went to the government and then they turn around and gave you a refund that made you feel really good getting that $2,000 refund. Okay. But now you want to feel even better. Okay, because of all these media headlines saying the IRS is warning that refunds are going to be smaller this year than last year. Okay, here's uh, here's how you can uh, correct that. All right, so what you do is Monday morning you go into your uh, employer, the payroll department, or you know whatever, and you fill out a new W four form. That's where you say how much withholding you want. And there's a line on there for C, I believe it is, where you can just say, you can tell your, you know, your payroll department or whoever's doing your payroll that you want an extra amount of withholding per pay. Now you got to do the math on, you know, how many pays a year and all that good stuff. But in my example here, you would say, you know, the additional you want, you, you want withheld is $2,000 throughout the year. So now everything else the same. Now your refund is going to be $4,000, double what your refund was last year. Do you really feel better? Now, of course, one of the side effects of that, uh, that medicine is that but if you increase the amount of withholding, that means you're bringing less paycheck home every month. And could that, you know, so are you really getting ahead? Um, now, if you're, let's say you're saying, well, Mark, I'm, I'm retired. I don't have a W-2 income. So how do I do that? How do I take that medicine? Well, it's similar. So if you, you can, if you have, uh, you do have withholding options, if you're getting fixed retirement income, let's say a pension or social security, or maybe even, uh, if you, if you're under RMDs and you're taking a required minimum distribution, you can make withholding elections. Um, if you're take, if you have an annuities, um, and you're taking annuity distributions, whether you're taking them as needed or you've annuitized a contract to a, to a, like a personal pension, you can normally can take, make withholding elections. Now you can always do federal. Ohio, you have to ask the custodian because Ohio doesn't require custodians to support Ohio withholding, but many of them do. Um, now, and let's say, well, let's just go back to Social Security because that is one I find that, um, you know, the default for Social Security is no federal withholding. Now, Social Security does not, by the way, support Ohio withholding, um, but the default is no federal withholding either. Now, if you want to add or, or have Social Security withhold federal income tax, you look for Form W-4V, okay? And that's like for federal payments. And that's where you can elect to have withholding on your Social Security. Now, you can't just run the gamut. They give you like four options. There's four boxes. You can check off 7% withholding, 10%, 12%, or 22%. So now let's say back in my example where you are going to feel a lot better if you double your refund next year. And so let's say you made the election where originally to have 7% uh, withholding on your Social Security. So then you would redo the new form W-4V and check the box 12% or go all the way up to 22%. And same as, as before, all the other things being the same, you'll get a bigger refund. I don't know if that's really the way to go. Um, but the, uh, 
you know, and also, you know, the, the idea is because if you if you give, if you elect to just give the money to the government in order just to get a refund, chant, you know, the government's not going to pay you a lot of interest. <laughs> Fact was, they probably won't pay you any interest on that refund. Now, that wasn't such an issue for the last 20 years when interest rates were nearly zero. Um, all right. But it's a different world now where interest rates have, have higher. Yeah. If you haven't, you know, gone out and shopped, uh, fixed interest rates, you know, don't look now, but the banks, your local banks, certainly the internet, you know, banks or the brokerage houses who've got those high yielding money markets, you may be getting, be able to get three to 4% a year interest on safe fixed money, you know, just sitting in cash basically. You know, the government's not going to pay you three to 4% interest on your refund. Now, they will pay interest if they're negligent to get it out to you in a timely manner. I've talked about that on, on previous shows, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. Um, so, so that's the idea. So, yeah, when the interest rates were zero, did it really matter whether, uh, you, you know, whether you gave the money to the government just to get it back? or whether you held on to it on your own and put it into a, a one-year CD or something, the equivalent that would say, okay, I'm going to try to earn 4 to 5%. Yeah, one-year CDs, you may be able to get 4 to 5% still right now. Now, I know that's not a great difference. So if you, if you know, if you $4,000, let's say you're planning your refund to be, and even at earn 4% a year, I know that's only 160 bucks a year, but you know what? Could keep your cooler filled. Um, also though, maybe more importantly is that by you holding on to that money, it's, you have more flexibility, you have access to it. You know, for example, if an unplanned expense comes up, now I know my clients never have unplanned expenses come up. I always ask that question, you know, when we're talking about cash reserves, um, you know, I sometimes ask that question is, well, you know, what about for emergencies, and, and and then I get the, you know, usually the quick off the cuff reply is a, well, Mark, I'm not planning any emergencies. Yeah, you get the point. Um, that's why we call them emergencies. All right. So I don't know if, if you're suffering from TRD, come in and talk to us and maybe we can switch your thinking. Or if, you, if that's the idea that you do want you know, you just love that government being a, a, a forcing you to save money so you can get that refund. Um, all right. Well, if you want to double your refund, I just gave you a way to do it. Um, let's see. All right. We got some economic data this week, and it, it's we. This may be the most anticipated recession in history, or at least recent history. And so what we got, so one is we got the first reading on the first quarter GDP. And so the, the street was looking for about 2%. And, it, you know, remember, it, la- it ended up last year at about 2.6%. So the experts were assuming it was going to cool off a bit, but they were still at a 2% handle. Well, it actually came in at 1.1%. Now, remember the technical 
definition of a recession is two consecutive negative GDP quarters. And But we did learn last year that's not always definitive as a recession. I, I, still, I still adhere to my opinion that 2022, it historically, will not be looked back on and called a recession. And, and the reason being is because there wasn't enough pain. All right, so one of the things about when they call it a recession is because not only do you have the two negative GDP quarters, but there's also a long pain Okay, and that's what we didn't have last year, and that's what people are anticipating could happen this year. Um, so, and then the second we got the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge, and that's the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. Okay, and and you know why does the Fed like this data index more than the CPI? Um, well, it, it's because in this one, they, uh, they think it's more comprehensive. In other words, the, the index takes into account the concept of when, con- when consumers with faced with higher pricing will change their buying habits for cheaper goods. You know, the, you know, the classic brand name versus the, the, you know, store name, you know, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and so that's what the PCE tries to incorporate in their data. So how did those numbers come out? And again, you've got headline and you also got core, core excluding food and energy. And core is what the Federal Reserve and most adults in the room look at. Because if you just, if you based your inflation on energy, you, you'd, you'd never get anywhere because it fluctuates. Oil alone fluctuates so dramatically. And by the way, the Federal Reserve is the first to admit their monetary policy cannot control global oil prices. You know, talk to OPEC and Russia and the other biggies. Um, now, so how did PCE come in? So annual year over year headline uh, came in at 4.2%. Okay, better, by the way, than the previous month of 5.0% which was better than January's number of 5.4%. So is that a trend? Like we've been saying, we think inflation has peaked and it's, you know, went up like a rocket. It's coming down like a feather. Um, but ew, do we see that trend? Now, if you look month over month, and a lot of people look month over month because it's more recent. It's, you know, don't, don't, you know, I want to get a more recent. All right. So that came in at 0.1%, still going up. Okay, 0.1%. And compared to the previous uh, was 0.3%. And then January's 0.6%. So still from January, 0.6 to 0.3 to, to late, most recent 0.1, that's the trend going down. But let's look at the Fed's preferred core. Okay, now we're getting a little bit of a different picture. Because annual year over year came in at 4.6%. Ouch. Matter of fact, that was this, that was, well, original last month's was 4.6. It was revised up, I believe, to 4.7. So, you know, but the street was looking for that to decline a little bit too. They were thinking about 4.5. Well, it's, it's sticky. It's staying right at that 4.6, 4.7. That's a problem for the Fed. Because if their medicine isn't working on their core, guess what? 
Guess what they're going to do next week at the FOMC meeting? You got it. They're going to raise rates. Um, I think this is, you know, I think that because this data, now if you look month over month, okay, uh, core came in at 0.3% increase, which was the same as last month, 0.3. See the stickiness. Okay, um, and that's what the Federal Reserve is going to say they have more work to do. And that means there's more pain coming. All right. Um, and so you can, you know, you can see. But you, if you look at those two together, the idea that the GDP is slowing, inflation is remaining high. You have two out of the three legs of the dreaded stagflation. Now, remember, stagflation is bad. Inflation is bad. Stagflation is much worse. Okay? And stagflation, again, is, you know, that concept where inflation is is high, the economy, the GDP is slowing or decreasing, and the third leg is unemployment remains high. And that's the one that, that's the third leg is the one that we haven't seen. Okay. Um, the, you know, you know, for the last couple of years, unemployment has, you know, you know, since the Rona recovery, the unemployment has remained pretty low, right? Um, and, but the Federal Reserve is kind of saying that's been, that was always the knock against the Federal Reserve that, you know, part of their medicine to stamp down inflation is they keep saying they've got to cool off the labor market. And, and so they don't have get into this, you know, wage spiral, you know, that, that causes companies fits, right? So, and, and so they, that's the manufactured recession. They, you know, they, they've got to cool off. And they've got to have unemployment go higher. All right. But this is the, this is the, the, the difficulty here, you know, trying to land this properly. Because if they, if GDP collapses and they can't get inflation down before the unemployment rate goes up, are you looking at stagflation? And so that's one of the things. So again, and that's why many, many people, and as a fact, I think I mentioned in last week's show, when we saw the FOMC meeting minutes for March, they're pretty much, the Federal Reserve was saying, pretty much a base case recession. All right. So, so what can you do if you're concerned about the U.S. going into a recession? What is, so we always say, you know, three simple things you can do to protect you and your family from the next economic downturn. Whether you think it's going to, you know, be the Thanksgiving recession, which is kind of the ballpark I'm in, um, or, you know, it's not going to happen until next year, perhaps. Um, you know, if you're in, and so how you, well, the first thing is maintain an adequate cash reserve. Okay. Cause that's your first defense against, you know, an economic downturn. Now, by the way, what is your, what's the appropriate, adequate, uh, adequate, appropriate cash reserve for you? You have to figure it out. Don't ask your neighbor. All right. It may not be the same thing. But for example, if you're still working, employed, one of the things we worry about recessions is that people get laid off. So you may look into that, you know, the idea of what if I'm laid off? Let's say you're retired. You're not worried about being laid off, but you know, so then you would say, okay, usually you, you, you correlate a market down, a downturn. 
a market decline. Now, um, so you know, we had a big market decline last year, right? So a lot of people think, hey, we're lower to the bottom anyways, but we've also it's done pretty well this year. Uh, okay, so could the markets drop? And so the idea is the adequate cash reserve means that whether you're working and get laid off or in retirement and you want to maintain your lifestyle, if you don't want to be in a position where you have to sell your investments low, because remember your investment advisors always tell you never to do that. You know, don't sell low. You're supposed to buy low and sell high. You're not supposed to sell low, right? So if you want to prevent that, that's where if you have a big enough cash reserve, then you can rely on the cash reserve that gives your nest egg, your investments, time to recover. And by the way, if you're not selling those stocks low, you're waiting for them to recover because you have enough cash, all right, then you're still collecting the dividends or interest or you know things like that. Um, now, the second thing is don't take on more risks than what you need to be okay. Rebalance. If you're using professional investment advisors, chances are they are rebalancing for you. All right. Um, if you're not, if you're DIY doing it yourself, internet, well, then you have to kind of do it yourself. So it, it's that idea of saying, well, you know, how much risk do you need to be okay? Um, and then are you, are you watching and rebalancing? You know, so you're not ever getting over, uh, risk exposure. Um, and then the third thing, if you're really concerned about, you know, uh, a pending economic downturn, we always say, you know, if we do have a recession in the next 24, 18, 24 months, let's say, it doesn't may not, it might not really affect your lives today. I mean, you're not going to run out of money today. It just means in a weird way, the longevity of your financial plan is in jeopardy. Meaning if you're running, if you let's say you were running a financial plan and the money was lasting to age 90, 95, do I hear a hundred? That's your peace of mind. We let our clients tell us how they want, how long they want their plan running. We can make recommendations, but it's your plan, not mine. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the robot whatever. All right. Um, it's, it's as just long as it leaves you in a decision making mode. And, and peace of mind. So let's say that's age 95. And so you, so let's say your plan A without an economic downturn was lasting to 95. But, you know, now we can model in an economic downturn. Sometimes we call that plan R for recession or recovery. And the idea is let's model in a worst case scenario. And in today's world, that could not only mean a market decline, it could also mean higher inflation, you know, this, this non-transitory inflation that we're experiencing. And the idea is, is my money still lasting to 95? And what if it's not? Well, that's what we're trying to determine. And, and that's pretty tough to do is to try to do that type of math in your head to try to project out the next 20, 25, 30 years with inflation and spending and taxes and everything else and say, you know, how does a 15% drop in the market and, the, you know, four to 5% inflation for the next three years affect my longevity? And that's what the plan are, and it helps you make decisions today once you kind of get that long-term effect. So um, if you would like that type of planning or help in building that planning, just give us a call. So you know, our, the estate planning team, you can call us at 440-239-2090. 
And we're an Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. We've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. And, you know, we do it one plan, one family at a time. Um, you can also find more information about us at our website. So our website is kind of the name of our radio show program, Financial Food for Thought. Just one string of characters, lowercase. So financialfoodforthought.com. And then on there, you can find financial articles. Uh, you know, we had recent articles on the Secure Act 2, which we've talked a lot about on this radio show. Um, there's calculators on there if you want to run a, a mortgage calculation. Um, you can also link to these radio show podcasts. All right, so so there's a nice bank of, you know, the radio station keeps a nice bank of these shows, probably going back, oh, I don't know, maybe six, eight months, maybe even longer. Um, and, you know, you can, on our website, there's a button, click to them, and then you can go in and listen to any show that you want at your convenience. Um, and, the, and, and 24-7. So that so that's a great opportunity to, to catch up on our previous shows, um, and uh, if you go to our website, you can also sign up for a free no obligation consultation, and we can do those by phone. Uh, we can do them in face, person to person. It's your choice, um, and you can just you know sign up, or if you can just give us a call at. Again, our phone number, 440-239-2090. You can call over the weekend, just leave a message, and somebody will get back to you on Monday morning. Yeah, and so as I was saying at the beginning of the show, last week we did our annual 420 show. And if you're not familiar, that's where we're talking about the new Green Deal, right? And I'm not talking about the solar panels and wind farms. I'm talking about the $13.2 billion cannabis business in the U.S. By the way, the, the projected growth rate for that industry over the next seven years is about 14.2% compound. That's maybe the real green economy that's going on. But where I ran out of time last week, I was talking about the idea that, you know, the, 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 the greatest number, and, and I'm, I'm, now I'm, you know, there's medical marijuana legalization. There's also recreational marijuana legalization. Now I'm just talking about the medical, all right? Um, and in that category, you know, the, the, the fastest group who is using it and increasing that use of it are the 65 and older, right? Um, so it, it's, and like a one recent New York dispensary, was they say of their, you know, 60% of their customers are 50 or older. All right. Um, Medicare. Okay. Medicare recent, you know, recipients right now, they say one in five, 20% report that they are using medical marijuana. Okay. In polls. Um, and that same poll said when they asked the question, have you used it in the past? 25% they said they did. Right. Um, and, and they also, and, and two thirds of Medicare recipients believe and think that Medicare should cover the cost. And that's what the issue that I was trying to address is that, that you know, the uh, and, and, and why are the baby boomers and olders using medical marijuana, you know, severe chronic pain, cancer, Parkinson's disease, neuropathy pain, you get, you, you know, you get the picture. And the cost isn't that cheap. You know, right now for a, a dose of an edible product, it's probably about five bucks. Um, if you're looking for the plant buds, you know, you, you're probably paying five to 20 bucks per gram. All right. Um, 
Now, in 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 some states, uh, you, you know, it, you know, the question is, will your medical insurance cover it? Well, they may cover the cost of the doctor visit, you know, and and perhaps the cost to get the whatever the medical the marijuana medical card. But there's not too many insurances right now that are actually going to pay you or reimburse you the cost for the actual products, um, and. And a lot of people are saying, well, what about the uh, – and, and the reason why is, is, of course, is because the federal government is still cre- treating marijuana as a Schedule you know, one drug. And also the FDA has not really approved um, that marijuana, marijuana medical uh, is, a, is, a, is a proper remedy or a safe and effective uh, treatment for those issues that I just mentioned earlier. So it, it, it's kind of like that. And then there's also a whole nother issue. What about, you know, the Medicare Advantage plans, you know, the private state Medicare Advantage plans, will they cover it? And, you know, because again, we know, we see the statistics, not only the state planning team, but across the nation, probably 50% of those turning 65 right now are electing a Medicare Advantage plan as opposed to a traditional private Medicare supplemental plan, you know, to cover that 20% out of pocket that Medicare A and B doesn't cover. So, I, you know, I talk a lot about that in other shows, but that, that's the idea. So now that 50% of 65-year-olds are electing a Medicare Advantage and, you know, a good percentage of those are going to end up using medical marijuana, the question is, will the state's private Medicare Advantage plans uh, t- pay for it? And again, right now, the chances are probably not because the same reasons, the FDA approval, federal government still treating it as a legal drug. All right. So you're listening to Mark Donnelly, and this is Financial Food for Thought. If you'd like to get a hold of us and schedule a free consultation, you can call us at 440-239-2090. All right. So... Let's talk about this infamous investment timing strategy that you probably have referred to as sell in May and go away. And it's the idea that you're in the market November 1st to April 30th, and then you exit the market from May 1st to October 31st, and you follow that strategy year after year after year, all right? In six months, out six months. In six months, out six months. In six months, out six months. You get the picture. And now I don't know of, and, and, and the idea of going away in May is we've all, you know, we've, we've seen the summer doldrums, you know, where the, seem, the stock market just seems to pan out in the summers, the dog days of summer, you know, everyone's vacationing and stuff like that. Um, but then you want to get back in before the Santa Claus rally, you know, that usually that that big, you know, return and then going into the new year and that momentum. So that's kind of the idea where you're going in in October and you're hanging out to right before May. And then you get out and sit on the sidelines and then jump back in. Now, now remember the estate planning team we do not make any specific stock recommend we we are not investment advisors you know we we don't that's not what we do 
Okay, but it is it is a uh, but we play around. We have fun with some of these strategies, and j- j- so does it work? Well, first of all, I don't think there is a professional investment advisor. I meaning somebody if you're hiring and they let's say they have a discretionary account where you know they are putting together a stock and bond portfolio for you, right? Where you know they have discretion, meaning that you're they're making the moves. They're not calling you on the phone every time they want to make a move in the market, whether to buy stock or sell stock. Um, you know, it's obviously it's based on your objectives with that investment advisor, but you get my point. So I don't think there's a professional investment advisor on the planet that really recommends their client follow this rule or, like I said, if they have discretion, are doing this religiously every year for their clients. By the way, if yours is, please let me know. I'd love to talk to them. Um, that'd be really interesting to see how the history of theirs. But again, I, yeah, I don't really think any professional investment advisor is making this recommendation. So, but the DIYI people out there doing it yourself, yeah, I mean, maybe you want to follow this. Heck, I remember once, I was many, many moons ago, I had a, a client in and, and uh, you know, we started talking about his process for, uh, you know, investing into, into the market. And he saw he was following the ocean tide strategy. And I, I thought like, I thought he was kidding. I, I thought, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I hadn't heard of that before. He said, oh, yeah. So the next meeting, he brought in, he had his dog-eared paperback book, you know, that that, that laid out a pretty good, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it seemed reasonable, you know, with the graphs that they had in there, they, they could show you historically the, the stock market, how it, it, it graphed right on a long line with the, the full moons and the tides, you know, to each his own is my point. And the point is, we don't make recommendations along those ways, but- um, but so, so, but if you were just curious, cause you'll hear a lot about it in this, you know, beginning of May every year, you know, it's talked about all, all over the place. Um, so I, let me see if I can do it. And so I'm going to look at the last three years because a lot has happened in the U S over the last three years. You know, if you look at 2020 through 2023 and, and, and we're looking at that fiscal period, right? Because the idea that, you're looking from April to April, all right? Because you you, you know that that's because because you're like you're getting out on April thirtieth, okay? Um, and so if you're looking at a a fiscal year, you want to measure or the benchmark would be from April to April, you know? Um, all right, so. So and and so what has happened since you know 2020 of course we had the rona recession all right and then in 2021 we had the beach ball bounce recovery and then in 22 that we had the big market collapse the you know the death of the 6040 portfolio um and then so far in 2023 it's been not super volatile, but you know, don't look now. But now, again, we're taping the show on Friday, so I don't have exactly the end of the day numbers. I'm using it, you know, through yet, and I'm using the S and P 500 as my benchmark here. Um, you you can do whatever you know stock index you want to use at home, but um, but you know, so far year to date, the S and P, well, you know, it's. I don't know what the market's doing today. Maybe it's up a little. I don't know. So you probably got a seven to eight percent year to date return so far in the S and P five hundred. 
Um, so, so that's the kind of the idea. So, if if you were setting up the benchmark to say how you know would have been better if I just left my money hundred percent in the market around year round, or would have been better had I switched to this go away in May strategy, meaning that again you're in the market um, from you know November first to April thirtieth, and then you exit the market from May 1st to October 31st. Um, and so, you, and, and you have to then say, well, if the, when you're out of the market, what assumption are you going to make that's happening to that? And my assumption is you're just leaving it in cash. In other words, it, you're not taking it out, buying an alternative investment that's subject to risk or putting into a long-term vehicle because you need to get back in in six months, right? So I'm assuming you're just leaving it on the sidelines. Now, we've also, what's happened here is we've had in, in this three-year, that's why I think it's interesting looking at the last three years because we've had the rising interest rates. So, you know, so that's also what, you know, we haven't had in a long time. So you've had, you had a kind of mix of everything economically in the last three years, recessions, recoveries, rising interest rate, uh, you know, the gambit. Um, now, so the idea is, well, okay, so for the six months of the fiscal time that you're out of the market, we have to make some assumption on what that's earning. I, I don't know. I, if, I'm let's say two percent a year. So in, in 2020, 21 might have been less than two percent. 2022, 23 it, it might be higher than two percent. And remember, you're only in there for half the time because the other half the time you're in the market. So let's use one percent. So as a benchmark, we're just going to assume that when you're out of the market in this strategy from May to October, let's say your money earned one percent over that time period. All right. Um, all right. So, so then we can start looking at, um, you know, and, and, and again, so we start looking and see, well, how has the S and P 500, you know, done for those, you know, annual periods from April to April versus if, how did they do if you're only in from, um, a, you know, from uh, November 1st through April. And let's see. Um, okay, so let's see if I don't have time to go through all these numbers. Maybe I just go to the the bottom line. Um, yeah, just because I'm running out of time, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to go through all the actual numbers. I'm just going to go through the kind of results. So the idea is, um, all right. So for like, is if we look at from the um, 2022 to the 2023 period. So if we look at from April of 2022 through this April of 2023, um, if you were all in the S&P 500 for that time period, um, your return would have been a 0.08%. Not too stellar, not too exciting. And mostly because you're capturing that 2022 market decline. You're not negative, okay, you know, in that fiscal period, but you're not anywhere near, you know, the 5% that you're running your financial plan on. But let's say you followed this strategy. And so let's say from, um, so from April of 2022 
through October of 2022, you were not, you know, you weren't in the market at all. Okay. And you just had your money in the sidelines and let's say it earned 1% for that six month period. Okay. Now from November 1st of 2022 through now, you know, April 30th of 2023, uh, you'd be up, uh, the S and P is up 6.8%. Okay. So you have a, so you've captured that little recovery. Remember how good January of this year was. The, the, the market, the S&P alone in January is up 6%, right? So you, you capture that, right? And, and so you, so you, now you've got a, so for the 12 months, six of the months you earned one, the second six months of that fiscal period, you earned 6.8, you got an annualized 7.8% return. You're feeling pretty good because now you beat your 5% that you're running your model on. All right. Um, so you can say, okay, but what if we look, what if we go back and look at the fiscal period 2021 through 2022? Okay. So if you were all in the S and P 500 for that time period, April 30th of 2021 through April 30th of 2022, uh, you would be down 1.18%, or you were down 1.18%, negative, okay? You're missing, obviously, your 5% you know, projected rate of return that you built your plan on. Um, and a lot of that because you, you, know, you caught that drop in 2022, and, you know, um, some of that drop and, and, and kind of going from there. All right. Now it's not big down. I mean, it's relatively flat. I mean, one point one eight percent. I mean, that's not going to break your plan, um, you know. But you know, but let's say. But what if in that same time period you were following the go away in May? Okay, and that. So so when you were out of the market from April thirtieth of twenty twenty one through October of twenty twenty one. Okay, you we're just going to give you your one percent because you had that money sitting in a CD or whatever. Um, you know, earned 1%. Okay. Then when you jump back in, in November of 2021 through April of 2022, okay, you're down 10.28%. Ouch. Okay. So now you, so you're that, you know, down 10.28 plus the 1% that you got for being on the sidelines. So you're overall, you're down 9.28%. So in that time period, it would have been better for you just to stay in the S&P 500. You would have had a lesser loss. Okay. Um, Now, what if we go to the go back one year further and we go back to 2020 to 2021 fiscal period from, you know, April of 2020 through April of 2021. All right. Well, if you were in 100% in the market, the S&P 500, you only had a 43.56% rate of return. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, those were the good old days, right? Um, that, you know, you were very happy. You, you did a lot better than your plan 5%, right? Um, you participated in that beach ball bounce recovery. That's what happens when the government drops $6 trillion on our laps for spending, right? Um, now, but let's say that year 
you were religiously following the the go away in May strategy. So from the April 30th of 2020 through October 31st of 2020, you didn't participate in the market gains. You got your 1% fixed. Okay. Then when you jump back in, in November of 2020 through April 30th of 2021, um, you did participate now in the beach ball bounce recovery at, at the tune of about 27, almost 28%. All right. So you take your 27 0.87% gain on the six months in the market, plus your 1% gain by being out of the market. So overall, you had a 28, 29, almost a 29% rate of return. I think you're still happy, right? I mean, you certainly still beat your 5% that you're running your model on, all right? Um, so so now, so you can see, but are, is this enough to, to make a decision on whether or not you would do this. And I'm not recommending you do this. I'm just playing around with the numbers. You and, and, that, and that's one of the things that I try to get across to our, our new clients is that I'm not here to make decisions for you. I feel our role, they say, planning team, is if we're showing you enough empirical evidence, whether that be being able to run a model looking out 20, 30 years, or running a Social Security analysis to say what is your best election option, or running a pension analysis that's help you determine whether you should be taking the lump sum or a, a, a lifetime annuity, you know, and, you know, looking at planned IRA distributions, whether you should just be following the required minimum distribution or doing an accelerated distribution Roth conversion. You know, in other words, we don't tell our clients what to do. We feel our role is to run enough analysis and to show them that they make a decision. That if, if we got enough out on the table, it helps them make a decision, but at least now they know why. So looking over this three years, um, so let's, let's do an annualized return over these three years that I just went over. So again, let's say you are just all in the market. And so in the first year, you had a 43.5%, 5-6% rate of return, incredible growth. In the second year, you had a 1.18% loss, a little pain there. And then most recently, the third year, you have a basically flat, a 0.08% rate of return. So adding those three years up together, that's a 42.46% rate. Divided by three years, you're annualized 14.15%. Okay? Now, how about if you follow the go away in May strategy for those three years? So in year one, you had a 28.87% rate of return. In year two, you had a negative 9.28%. Ouch. And in, in year three, yeah, you've got a 7.8% recovery after that 9% loss the previous year. So overall for the three years, you're coming in at 2739 Divide that by three, that's 9.13% annualized, just under that double-digit return. Now, again, not a lot of our clients, nor do we ever recommend to our clients that they have 100% of all their investments in the market. Or it's very difficult to time it, which I can't describe. So in this strategy, you would say that the go away in May isn't working on an annualized basis over the last three years. 
in years where there were good markets and years there were bad markets, in years when the Feds were rising interest rate, you know, all those other economic data, um, you know, the 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 all in. Fourteen percent blows away the fifty the the fifty fifty in you know nine percent, but we know you're not all in. So so let's say you were following Biden's four percent rule and and you had fifty percent of your money in the market, and you were following this strategy for that fifty percent, and then the other fifty percent you never followed this strategy. That was just purely long term fixed items. That could have been, um, you know, CDs, bonds, preferred stocks, maybe even fixed annuities. And let's say that end of it, you still thought you could get 3%. Now, it's a lot, e- it's been in the last year, it's been a lot more easier to get 3% on your fixed than the first years of this three year comparison, right? But let's just say for that. So, so now what you would do is you would take, like, for example, if you were, if you just left a 50% all in the market, you know, that did the 14.15% annualized over three years, but you only have 50% of your money there, right? And then the other 50% was earning three. So based on that, you'd have an overall in that 50-50 strategy annualized over the three years about 8.575%, clearly above the 5% that you're running your plan on, right? Um, all right. Now, if uh, let's and if you were following the for the 50 percent that you have in your growth and you were following the, you know, go away in May um, strategy. OK, that three year analyze is about six point oh six five. That again beats the five percent you're running. So these are the things that you just look at and it gets to that concept of how much risk are you taking to be OK and even in we have bad years or pending economic downturns, over the long term, it may not be the demise of the 60-40 portfolio. All right, got to get out of here. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.